It's a new year. This is illiterate. My name is Evan. My name is Taylor. I read some stuff this week. I watched a movie. We are covering Adam McKay's Don't Look Up. The talk of the town. Everybody is split over this movie. It is, uh, we'll call it satire. It is highly political. And man, the conversation around this movie is staunch. It's very strong. You have a lot of people that really like it, and you have a lot of people that really, uh, really don't like it. That are saying that it's a little it's stale, or maybe a, you know, blunt. And, and we we think that the the conversation here could use some context. So you know, it's time <laughs> for illiterate. Uh, why I can't now? Wait to open this up, exactly. Why? Why are we doing this now? How did this come to be? What went into making this, and what in the world changed while they were making it? Because that has everything to do with what it became. I think there's a lot to pick apart here, and I can't wait to dig in. One of the taglines for the film is based on a true story that hasn't happened yet. Uh, what is it based on <laughs> that hasn't happened yet is a witty line, but but it does mean something. A, a to pontification. The story. If mm -hmm. we continue down this road, what will it look like? Mm -hmm. I, and I think that it's important to set up this timeline here of exactly when this was made, when it was written, opposed to when we saw it. Yeah. So it was supposed to film in April of 2020. It was all good to go. Obviously, got delayed and then didn't film until November of 2020. So they had been making all of this pre. Good lord, pandemic. So you you you've developed a script for X number of years by this. You've got all this yeah. talent attached to it. You have all this money behind it with a start date of March 2020. Eh pandemic. <laughs> and guess what? You know, if it's a pontification about disaster, if we continue down this road, what happened? Yeah. Whoa. So I, I think I think that this is central to the discussion here because I think that this movie needs its context. Most things don't need this type of thing, but this is so the the satire here is so close. We're in the eye of the storm with, with this material that I think we need a little bit of context. We need right, real context for this. In the building up of this story, Adam McKay explicitly says everywhere that this is an allegory for climate change, not necessarily right. Not you know, pandemic didn't exist when when this was being. <laughs> Pinned. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so it's a satire of the government and media indifference to the climate crisis, not to a global so pandemic. basically passing the buck, you know, minimize it. Well, you know, 99.9%. Yeah. So not certain. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Where Adam McKay comes from, he was the head writer for SNL in the late 90s for a bit. He co-founded the Upright Citizens Brigade, is a well-known Will Ferrell collab so he's done Anchorman, Talladega Nights, The Other Guys, mm -hmm. Step Brothers. In more recent years, dove more into societal, not always satire, but for in large part, the big short about economics, Vice, about Dick Cheney. Yeah. The creative inception, though, the, like the, the start of the idea with the meteor and all that. I don't know if you – do you know anything about that? No. So after Vice was released, David Sirota, who was a journalist, friend of Adam McKay, he was a senior advisor for Bernie 2020. Gotcha. David Sirota asked Adam McKay, he's like, you should do some sort of a climate change movie, but not some apocalyptic thing, or this is World War III or Mad Max. Mm -hmm. And so they're batting around ideas, discussing the lack of media coverage 
and that climate scientists are objectively saying things are getting worse and worse and why isn't this the top headline every day until it's fixed right. <laughs> you know why does right. it get bumped down to four or yeah, five or it's really starting to to pick apart how do we just keep pushing brushing that off you know wait hold on yeah. isn't this like monumentally important <laughs> but we just keep well you know gotta keep on the bright side yeah 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 so David Sirota offhandedly said to him once, it's like a comet is heading to Earth and it's going to st destroy us all and no one cares. <laughs> and he said, well, there's the idea that that'll be is. the allegory. What is it about our discourse that that pushes us to just make everything polite and agreeable or, you know, we don't want to pay it. We don't want to give any concerted energy to the uncomfortable. I think it's a, a I think it's a human quality for sure. But I think that there's <laughs> something about an American edge to it that is particular. So with that, thinking about, well, we got to talk about these serious issues in a funny way under the allegory of this meteor striking, no, comet, they're all <laughs> different, <laughs> comet right, yeah. striking. They uh, Adam McKay got connected with a astrotech advisor who then worked with them for years on this. Mm -hmm. Amy Mainzer is the principal investigator of near-Earth objects at NASA and was brought on early, hmm. worked for months with the cast, helped write scenes. Oh, wow. Uh, kind of, yeah. She was working on and is working on, there was a mission DART that was launched on November 24th of this past year. Oh my gosh. Where they crash this thing into a moon that's orbiting around this asteroid near what? the sun, testing how you could deflect the orbit of such a thing. It's And it's supposed to impact in September of this year. What? So this is the, the first test of this sort of deflection, because that's that's the only thing that really in the in the story is not scientifically appropriate in the sense of like, oh, we'll break it apart. And then it's like, well, then it's just a shotgun blast as opposed yeah. to- <laughs> Now it's a scatter thing. shot. To the <laughs> yeah, <laughs> same effect. You really would need to just nudge it away. And so this is actually Genius, happening. Yeah. Tests are being done. And so uh, wow. she's involved in that. Um, but yeah, she helped. Beyond all the science stuff as well, just the the nature of relationships. So like Leo and Jennifer Lawrence have this student advisor relationship, which is prevalent in the scientific community, but her making sure that that's a positive reflection, you know, right. non-harassing, mutually caring, even though it's masculine and right. feminine dynamic. Because she's like, that is a huge part if you're working, if you're a scientist so like and you're collaborating. The character faults in each of them have nothing to do with their relationship. You know, right. they, they, separately we can get, we can, you know, critique each of them as characters and they can have faults. It's not coming into that relationship, which I, right. I did think about during the movie and I kept hoping that would never be a part of it. And I was really <laughs> glad that it wasn't by the end because it didn't really didn't need it, especially by the time you get to the end and you go down these rabbit holes with these people and they yeah. have very different approaches to the disaster. Um, by the time you get there, you don't need that kind of thing. Right. Because the student advisor relationship, hopefully for most scientific endeavors, is not that, and it shouldn't yeah, be that. Yeah, and so yeah. there's no it was, point. It was to really that. just nice to see a, a, a. This is a good example of like at least how the relationship between these two kind of people would should be, <laughs> right? To an, ex, to an extent, you know, like, yeah. but it's yeah, you know, like not drawing because there's so much of that going on right now, and it's a good thing. It's a great thing that we're making those types of stories, but this it, it's not. It would be too much for this narrative. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, that was my last piece with the film as far as that one of the other reasons coming out is like 
their acting and the influence of star power as it applies to streaming? Because some people are saying it's like maybe this wouldn't be a theatrical success, even though it's got big people. But as we said, it's it's people are talking about it, but also people are watching it. It's the third most watched movie ever on Netflix. And that includes all the movies that have ever come out. It's already in third place. This this is? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God. I had no idea. Yeah. The only <laughs> wow. it's the only ones that are above it are Bird Box and Red Notice, the the action crazy one with Dwayne Johnson. Oh yeah, okay. Out. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, this I had, had no a, idea. And this also has the record for the most viewing hours in a single week. Yeah. Of any yeah. movie. I mean that it was a clear, you know, coming to decide what episode to do. It was there wasn't really <laughs> another one that this is what everyone has been talking about. And it's been interesting because it's been such a stark, you know, split uh reaction to yeah. it. Yeah. So we so most of that is kind of the the creation and in a way the what the messaging is and sort of the doom and gloom out of, of it all and the climate crisis. You know, information is confusing and and misguided right. and the and the systems and industries behind it all are also complicit in this. That kind of led me to, well, where's the comedy there or the word satire getting thrown around as well. Mm -hmm. And I was just also like, I don't even really n know. I mean, if you told me, I'd be like, oh, yeah, it's making fun of this or that. Or, you, but like, what actually is Yeah, satire? what's the definition, you know? What, let's, what, what is the <laughs> actual book, the, the literary definition yeah. for what that means so we can use it correctly in a sentence? <laughs> <laughs> and the history of it as well, you know me. Where, how did it exactly. change? I mean, that's all part of it, the context. Yeah. So all the more informs how you use it. Because I think that that is the big 50-50 dividing line of, oh, it's too blunt, it's too shrill, it's yelling at me. Well, is that what it's supposed to be doing? Is that what mm -hmm, it... Mm -hmm. So satire has a very specific definition for most people, which I'll try to convey. It's using wit, not always funny though, to draw constructive social criticism, i.e. the vices and shortcomings are held up to ridicule of either a person or a system or whatever and shaming and exposing the flaws toward improvement. So that's mm. a very big, broad definition. But the thing to consider with it is that satire is like the big umbrella and it can use the tools of parody or imitation, burlesque, exaggeration, irony, Within it, yes, all of that stuff. So it's like, just because you have something on SNL that shows a you know somebody parodying a celebrity, that's not necessarily satire because is it right. using wit to draw constructive social criticism and is it ridiculing or shaming or exposing the flaws toward the improvement of said thing? Like if you're just making it, fun of somebody's the accent, satire is yeah. more of the takeaway is actually making the connection of what it is. Without that, these other things are just elements that make it up. To to achieve satire, you actually have yeah. to put things together and and create a, a response that you come away with. Right. Which is, oh, there's something that could be done better here. Yeah, like you have to arrive yeah. at a thought. Whereas the <laughs> other things are just tools in in the in the box. Right. Because you could have a slapstick comedy that uses parody of celebrities and exaggeration and craziness, but it doesn't have any sort of satire to right. it. Exactly. So the other thing to consider with satire is because it is so it's trying to say something in that way, it also might look like it's professing to approve of the thing that it's trying to question. 
because it's so because it's so ironic or so critiquing right. it might just look like oh this is a this is the thing like this is a bad right, piece right, of right, media right. It's, it's hard to extrapolate on but i think you get the the gist of it where it so, accidentally like almost slips into propaganda by accident for like a fake thing <laughs> right exactly where it's like no 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 that wasn't the yeah exactly that's a good way to put it so i had saw from a review and i don't remember exactly where this was but somebody had said in terms of this movie and the concept of satire satire was not good for inspiring people to action there's nothing funny about advocacy right. You can't make someone agree with you by calling them a fool. Like this is the criticism. and laughing at them. <laughs> right. And that that if you're trying to be on a soapbox, that can't be funny to a degree. So that that's what brought me to then our history lesson today of like, where is this coming from? Because then, <laughs> mm -hmm. then they're right. But then, but then was it always that way? So this comes from way, way back. Aristophanes in Greece, 400s BC. He oh is dubbed the father of comedy. If you want ah, to trace it. Ah, great title. <laughs> I want, I'm jealous. <laughs> Unfortunately, though, only 11 of his 40 plays that we know he wrote survive. Oh, man. Um, one of the things, he wasn't just, you know, wearing squeaky rubber shoes and slapping people and <laughs> falling downstairs. <laughs> his, uh, his powers of ridicule were really what were feared. Um, Not his whoopee cushions? No, 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 no. <laughs> so... There was also no legal redress for anyone that was slandered in a play. So uh, mm. Plato, Plato had even said that Aristophanes' play, The Clouds, in large part contributed to Socrates' trial and death because oh it was gosh. so critical and ridiculing of Socrates and the administration. You could get said, away with it there <laughs> and, and yeah. influence public opinion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Dionysus was the the god of the Dionysia festival, and he was even mocked in Aristophanes' play, The Frogs. So it was like even the patron god of the festival that this is happening with is not above him scrutinizing. Vicious. So the start of what they define these eras of comedy, and the one that he's most known for is old comedy, since he's the OG father. Yeah. This has, and this is, the, this is the distinction, more to do with individuals' topical concerns as it relates to Athens, very specific, pointed satire and rebuke. The new comedy thereafter moved away after there was sort of an internationalization and mixing of culture from the Peloponnesian War that was mm. taking place at the time. So as it grows, comedy as a whole, as a genre, becomes more stock characters, general situations, not this senator or this thing going on in Athens that he critiques, or Socrates gotcha. specifically. The other thing that goes along with this satire then, because it's so topically specific to the place and time, is a lot of people say good satire might even be a better lens for the insights to a society's collective psyche and values. Right rather than anthropology or looking at broken vases or whatever. Because uh, even Plato was asked by a friend for a book to understand Athens, and he said, read the plays of Aristophanes, and oh, you'll, yeah. <laughs> you'll get a sense of it. So that definitely resonates as far as this don't look up goes. Right. It seems more pointed. And that, that was the, the thing with the new comedy, which, like I said, developed after in 300 B.C., after the death of Alexander the Great, this is more the situational comedy, and Menander is the guy who did that. This is where you first get the five-act structure, which of course influenced Shakespeare and Moliere, 
and oh, more yeah. of, like I said, the, the romantic, situational, broader comedy. You could even say that sitcoms on TV these days, that's, this is the descendant of that. Oh yeah. Okay. You know, so it's interesting that there's, all of this is developing. I believe by the end of Aristophanes lifetime, he was also in this new comedy phase that also drops a lot of the Greek chorus and songs and things like that, that were mm -hmm. a, a vestige of the tragedies as well. But it is interesting that you have these two types of satire and one becomes a bit simpler and more general, but the origin of mm. comedy as we know it in plays and literature, at least in the Western world, is let me make fun of this specific person <laughs> and maybe get them executed <laughs> or whatever. Um, well, I have a, I, I literally have a stage here and they can't do anything about what I say <laughs> up here. So this is where I'm going to say it. <laughs> Even the gods yeah, cannot do anything. <laughs> It's just an act. It's yeah. just for theater. <laughs> so that's what was interesting to me. It's like, how did Aristophanes do this? Most of it was the plays that he developed in these competition festivals in Athens and then was judged and awarded prizes. But uh, the the types of satire that then people categorized that, ar that arose after him in the Roman Empire, how we could probably look at satires going forward are named after the authors. So Horatian was named for the Roman Horace. And this is okay. more in the new style, playfully criticizing with lighthearted humor. So this is more addressing folly rather than evil. And so the whole mm -hmm. thing is like, heal it with smiles rather than with anger. Take life less seriously. I wouldn't think mm. that Don't Look Up fits into that no. space necessarily. No. And then, so if, if you wanted to impress your friends with types of satire, Horatian is the silly, mm -hmm. just laugh mm -hmm. at it. Isn't this, isn't this absurd? Juvenalian is by Juvenal, the Roman satirist. And this is the opposite, more abrasive, contemptuous even, because he disagreed with the Republic. So he's just pointing out monstrous and incompetent institutions. <laughs> it's, it's the opposite. It's not just that it's wrong or foolish, but no, this is evil and needs to be stopped. Gotcha. And so this really is trying to provoke some sort of societal change because look, this is harmful. This right. is bad. Right. So that's juvenile, juvenalian. And then Menepian satire is Menippus. And this is more, even more abstract, kind of in my mind, like the hippy dippy. It's more attacks on mental attitudes rather than specific groups or entities. Mm. And is also much more stylized. So modern interpretations of that would be like Gulliver's Travels or Alice in Wonderland both mm -hmm. draw on this satire where it's pretty trippy, not related to anything and not a critique of a particular system, but more like a, gotcha. a mode of thought. Okay. So Horatian, Juvenalian, and Manipian hmm. is what carries over to modern times. But going into now, we'll look at some satires that maybe we know about as cultural sentiment shifts, what we think of them or why then this film yeah. is getting a 50-50 split. Like you can already see, I think, how, well, there's a lot of different ways that you can poke at something <laughs> and maybe we're used to one way or the other. So one that we actually talked about eons ago was Animal Farm. Yes, yes, And this yes. is an interesting example because it's not really funny at all. No. It's not supposed, it doesn't have to be funny. It can just be a satire, but there can right. be wit to it or interest in that way. So maybe we had talked about this, but T.S. Eliot was the head of Faber and Faber, the publishing house that rejected Orwell. And I found a link with the letter that they sent him. Oh yeah. And he was basically saying, this is not the right time because the Soviet Union still was allies 
with some people in 44. So they did not want to critique Stalin at all or the, you know, any of that stuff. So his letter was like, this doesn't really say what would be good for the world right now. And also it doesn't excite sympathy with what you want to do. It's just objections with how things were. So already then that was a critique of satire of like, well, if you're not going to give us a solution, then what's the point of pointing something out? Hmm. That was leveled at Animal Farm at the time. No belief in the human spirit, human ingenuity. <laughs> we can, can't we just know something's wrong and go, there has to, we have to find an ant, you know, like it, that would be my, you know, that's my answer to those types of things is, is the point here, there's a problem or is the point here, I have a solution. <laughs> there, those right. are different messages, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, that definitely shifts over time. And then the, the big one that this one gets compared to in the film world is, Dr. Strangelove, because this is in a huge wave of mm-hmm. Cold War and bombs and allegory. So what right, right. What, what, what? was this doing that people are like, well, it's not Strangelove. The original story was not a satire at all. The original, it's based on a novel called Red Alert, and that was a drama thriller, just straight, played completely straight. <laughs> this is oh, the, yeah. Yeah. Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, um, fantastic. So Kubrick read that and he was trying to adapt it and uh, he just said, I can't put this in. And like the more I'm putting this in, the more absurd elements come through and it just has to, it has to go all the way. I can't, if I take that out, then it just falls flat. But if I put it in, I'm just laughing. (laughs) So how how do I? I mean, he's really, I mean, that's honest, you know, authenticity to the materials. But what is the material showing back at me? You know, if I do this, it takes me down a different path. So you have to do the math. Well, if I continue going down this path, so it's becoming a different thing. Then if I do that, then X equals Y. And that, but, so all the comedy emerges out, yeah. of, out of that. It's That's pretty fantastic. Yeah, he just went all the way. And of course, Peter George, the author who was in the military, was not, uh, from what I could see, not as keen on... <laughs> on turning it into a farcical thing and uh, the, you know the lunacy of the situation is what people i think and that's what's what's different too we're talking about the context like the tension then was so so real people were l- yes like go under your desk if a bomb hits and like all of that was and it is that way to a degree but it's it's a bit what's different about the climate yeah. crisis is it's not like the comet that's over our head in 6 months or the idea right. of this mutually assured destruction where if one country sets off a nuke, then everybody is going to. Right. Um, that was very, very much in people's minds. Yes. So the the lunacy of the situation is much more chilling because it does <laughs> go all the way with it there. Yes. There's the looming potential there where like we're afraid of this happening, like somebody's hand on a, on a button, on a trigger. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas like now the reaction to don't look up is like, well, the comet hit, you know, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. uh, it, you know, obviously we're, you know, we're not in the middle of an ice age or anything, but the, the pandemic did unfold and the ground changed underneath uh, this project yeah. as they were bringing it to life. That changes everything about the dynamicism of the of the comedy. Uh, right. Everything about the satire, because now now the world has changed. The world has has grown up uh, forcefully uh, a step or two. And this material yeah. was a pontification about something that could happen, a disaster scenario in the future. If we continue going down there, that's all it was. And then disaster unfolded. 
Strange Love is about the potential. It's the hand on the button and a little mm. bit and it gives us the the tension relief to exhale and laugh uh at, yeah. if, you know in the middle of this going on. Uh this man the button hit the bombs went off <laughs> all you know like all of it and now we're now we're like now we're being yeah. I think I think some reactions to it are, you know, if they feel beaten over the head with something that feels kind of obvious now when, in all truth, when it was written, it was pretty It's not about the pandemic, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, but it, but it hit close to home. It was it was barking up a, an authentic tree so much so that the the ground shifted around it and it became more true and it, it got, it undercut itself. Real life <laughs> undercut the entire project. Um, so I think that is where I, what I'm reading in the negative responses to it, uh, mm-hmm. it is like, well, this, you know, the page was the page for a long time before wor- the world changed. It, it's that is yeah. the conversation that I see looming around this that I just don't see enough of. Yeah, I think also with that, comparing it to Dr. Strangelove and the characterizations as well for a little bit in the story, from what I remember, one of Peter Sellers characters has some semblance of sense, but really there is no audience surrogate for Dr. Strangelove. Like there is no voice of wisdom. There's no adults in the room. Right. It's a, we're doomed, you know? And that's, that's what's, that's what's horrifying about it. And that's the whole point of the, not maybe not apathy, but just the, the complacency of like the subtitle, how I learned to stop worrying and love the bomb. It's like, this is going to, we're screwed. Look at these idiots. Yeah. But don't look up has this direct it has a voice trying audience. to get out. Yeah. yeah, you know, it has yeah. people that are trying to figure out how to get their voice heard, how to get how to how to communicate in this day and age. Uh, right. Which so is in a, a way, suffocating feeling by the time by the time you're at the end of it. Uh, you know, it's like, well, mm-hmm. it, you know, nobody listened and it was minimized and mitigated. Right. Uh, you know that that's. Ooh. Looking at our <laughs> looking at our satires, and maybe I'm completely off base, but like you know the Horatian one, not really smiles and to take it less seriously, but it is kind of saying, well, this is all folly and we're done for. That's probably even more nihilistic, even though it's right. funnier because it's just completely absurd. Versus the Juvenalian, which is like we have some evil going on and we need to see change. Right? How is that going to be? I just think comparing the two, it's like they are approaching satire. from different methods. Um, Definitely. A lot of the stuff with then the voice that's missing from Dr. Strangelove, not only with the pandemic, but then climate crisis voices on news and whatnot. There's a Guardian article that I'll post a link to because, you know, I I think you you maybe said it, but like the scientists in the film are told to keep it light, keep it fun. Yeah. That's a lot of the criticism that this film, like people are like, couldn't this film have been that? Like, why wasn't this film, fu-? you know, like. And that's so funny because the DiCaprio character says outright, like not everything has to be, you know, delivered to go over well. Sometimes mm-hmm. we have to just sit down and we need the truth and we need it straight. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that I'll- is at the heart of this thing is can we actually communicate? Can we, can we actually be responsible and be adults and get the facts out can we yeah. get the story straight without well we're worried about how it's going to be taken we're worried about how people might feel we're worried about what the reaction will be well is it the truth mm-hmm. there is kind of a sentiment of maybe nihilism that people might take from this or from any satire like you were saying of being oh well 
here's a problem, here's some criticism, what the heck am I supposed to do about it? That right. might be how people <laughs> Get feel to about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. And it's like, well, what am I supposed to do then if you're just telling me the world sucks and it's horrible or I'm stupid or whatever? You know, I found that the public sentiment on it, specifically as it relates to the climate crisis, is not totally destroyed in the Pew Research yeah. Center in September did an international survey of 16 countries from thousands of random samples. I'll post a link to the the data, but 80% of people in these countries were willing to make, they said, a lot or some changes to how they live and work to help reduce the effects of climate change. Hmm. Um, wow. The the interesting thing, though, with at least in the U.S., you know, it, it, it also, like we're talking about where it's like there was a solution in the movie to how to get rid of the comet. But it's like right. we're working on how to f deal with a lot of this stuff. In 2019, there was a survey that 69% of Americans believe the U.S. should take aggressive action on climate change, but only 34% were willing to pay $100 or more in taxes mm. to facilitate that. Right. And what's unfortunate with the – I'll post a link to the article about sort of another angle on the film is that it is making these blunt points – or it's being critiqued as being not clever enough, or that it is with all of this, this nihilistic film about the public being a bunch of nincompoops. But that, but with that, there are also parts I imagine that are not obvious, or that you had you had right. I, me about I do. Before. I think I think a lot of I think a lot of the reaction is really stuck in the weeds. Really, really in the weeds here, looking for like, was well, that person supposed to be like that person? Felt <laughs> you know, like, I, I like God, that is that that is really missing the point here. I think this is confusing to audiences because it's coming out when it's coming out. Um, mm -hmm. If I'd gotten this last Christmas, I might. I think it maybe this would have went over a little differently. But but the things in it that I do see that I don't see much discussion around is well, what is it saying about the choice. If, if you're saying, well, maybe this movie doesn't offer uh, an answer, I'd say you're wrong. I'd say you're not watching the movie. The tech guy in this that is coming up with the tech to blow up the, the asteroid and mine it, he has an algorithm that says he knows basically with all certainty, he knows exactly how you're going to die. Mm -hmm. And he tells the DiCaprio character that he's going to die alone and sad. We also know that the the president is going to be eaten by some creature. <laughs> you know, that he says that. And so like, well, how in the world does that happen? Well, I don't see any discussion whatsoever about, and then here comes your choice. What can you do about it? What, what do I do about it? The DiCaprio character has a choice whether to take his seat on the ship, you know, right. to leave Earth or not. He has a choice. The algorithm is flat out wrong. He dies surrounded by friendly faces. Mm -hmm. flat out wrong. The algorithm is dead right for a, a laugh about the president, but that is not without its point. That is not there just to, oh, the president, oh, it was right, haha. No, no, no. <laughs> that is directly relating to the DiCaprio character's choice to stay. Yeah. That's the movie. That's where you have an answer here. Uh, what can I do about it? Oh, well, what can you do about it? What, yeah. what more, where do your morals, where do your morals really lie? So much of this movie that, that, I did appreciate was getting behind this, you know, this, this, the shyness and, and really being able to have something that says, Hey, look, we need to communicate and we need to communicate right now. Right. Um, that I, that I really appreciated it. And I, and, you know, as, as maybe it's, maybe it's a little overt, um, <laughs> but 
<laughs> you know, it's like, well, you know, I, I, like you're saying, the criticism for this thing of being like, well, couldn't it have been funnier or nicer or like, couldn't it have gone down easier or what? Couldn't it have been a little more subtle? And like, well, you sound like all the all the talking ends in the movie. You know, like it's, it's really, and, and I didn't mm-hmm. like love the movie, you know, right, it's not right. in my top 10 of the year or anything like that, but I certainly didn't hate it. When I look at Adam McKay's work, it's, it's, a, it's middle, maybe a little bit above middle, you know, it's very different, yeah. you know, it's, it's very different than a movie like Vice, which is incredibly well composed, very precise, um, but mm-hmm. also a story that was ended when he tackled it. Yeah. This is a pontification looking forward. And then it kind of happened in the middle of it, making it and it undercut the whole thing. So it's a very different thing, you know, mm-hmm. and that's so, and even, and now Vice and Big Short, very, 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 very different from something like Talladega Nights. Go listen <laughs> to the commentary on Talladega Nights. They don't care. Like it's a completely yeah. different filmmaking, like a process with these people that they're making. He's making very different movies throughout his career. They're very, they're doing very different things. And this movie was doing a particular thing and it got under cut by the world by the timing of everything and mm-hmm. i think now that we're getting it you know christmas 2021 into 2022 uh, you know it was written for 2019 <laughs> yeah and like you said a pontification i like that word of like will we stop these people how do we right. solve this problem it's not that we're all gonna die because everybody sucks Be- yeah. like you said with these the characters that they're following the characters that are missing in Dr. Strangelove of like, well, who knows what's going on and has a proper voice right. and isn't just yelling in the war room. It shows a plan that nearly works. Do you, I might be going off on a tangent yeah. here, but do you know the story, The Lottery? Yeah, 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 yeah. I know the short film made in the 60s very well. It's one of my favorite favorite shorts ever. Yeah. Um, but it, that's been something that's been on my mind recently. I think I even saw, it was referenced in a South Park movie, but just after having me and my wife watched Don't Look Up, uh, that movie's been on my mind, and I'm today talking about satire. That movie's not funny. <laughs> it's strict, deadly, deadly, deadly serious. Yeah, but it is using irony. It is using satire to talk about something. That that if you don't know what the lottery is, it's a little short film made in the '60s that is attacking the idea of traditions without meaning. Mm-hmm. Why do you follow in the tracks of tradition without understanding their their roots? Uh, that's that's satire, you know, that's, that is an incredible use of, of irony. Um, and so just our discussion today has been putting this story that I've, I've really loved for quite some time now, uh, even into some better, uh, into some more sharper context, but uh, this idea that things need to be cheery or fun or it's like, you know, satire (laughs) has to be comedy and that those, those are, that when people talk about comedy, but they, or using satire when they really mean, com- you know, like, no, 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 no. S- satire can be deadly serious. That uh, lottery one might even be the manipian satire that's more attacking yeah. a mental attitude. Yes, yes, than, yes. Yeah. I, I, I love that discussion today, being able to look at the different modes of it and putting satire under the uh, wheelhouse, really, that uses all these different tools, uses irony, mm-hmm. uses, uses all, you know, symbols comedy, and language, yeah. all this, yes, uses comedy as a, as a device, but it takes the, the addition, the, the, the math of all of these things to arrive at a takeaway that is satire. Well, I um, saw, and this, this is maybe the last little thing with Dr. Strangelove, originally the, the script had, and they filmed, I believe, Maybe they didn't, but it definitely was planned, the ending, to be just a massive whipped cream pie fight in the war room. And that was the no. end. No. <laughs> yeah. 
And they were like, oh, this is too farcical. This is too absurd. <clears throat> Guys, this is too much. <laughs> right. This is not what this oh. film is. So it's like even, yeah. in, even in the making of a thing, it could also be like, well, what are we actually yeah. trying to say with this? What do we want yeah. people to come out with? Because that it's would change. It's fragile. It. It's so yeah. fragile. Yeah. Um. I. I. And I, I. My last thing. You know. Um. I read an article talking about Meryl Streep's uh, role and how uh-huh. she came to actually do this. Talking about the change in comedy, the change in the tone between prepping to go out to shoot it the first time against going to shoot it later in the year. Right. And they went out to shoot for April 2020. Shut down. Pandemic. They went in the fall in November, went back to shoot it. And they, there's a whole article talking about how difficult it was to do the same lines, to run through some of the same scenes with this style of, of satire, with this style of comedy, with this writing uh, right. after what had just happened, which is exactly what I think the discussion is centering around with anybody, without anybody realizing it. I think it really sits in that article with, uh, with Meryl Streep talking about how na- what worked in March did not work in November. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and, and that is, you know, as a creative, as a writer, as a filmmaker, think about that process, the undertaking it when it comes to, okay, now we're going to try again. Now we're going to go and actually do it, except the world has changed around it. Uh, what yeah. an undertake, you know, well, that's and, what happened I, with, know, I know with strange love, they changed. There was a line, something about the bombs doing really well in Dallas. And then, Kennedy was assassinated, and so they had to change the line. They said, but oh, the line no. is still on the French version with subtitles. Um, oh yes, no way. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, like you're saying, it's like it it reads yeah. completely yeah. differently when you're in the middle of something, and then some big world event happens. So yeah, that's that's really all all that we have this week. But we're interested to know what in the world you made of it, because there's no wrong answer here. If you liked it, loved it, hated it, despised it. Did they get it right? Did it fall flat for you? We're really interested to know what you thought of the movie. So reach out at IlliteratePod on Instagram. Um, and let's, uh, you know, let's get the discussion going about, you know, this is such an interesting piece. I'm really glad that that a, a conversation like this popped up over our break that we were able to, to jump on. Um, so yep. we're excited to see what you guys might think. At IlliteratePod on Instagram, send us a message and we will catch you all next week. <laughs>